0: Uh, welcome to our, our last opening week event. Oh, big R. Oh, thank you. Well A <laughs> bit pantomime, isn't it? Uh, no, Anyway, um, <clears throat> my name is Phil Velicott. Um, I'm one of the leaders of the church here. My role on the leadership team is pastor-teacher. If you're new here this morning, then let me just explain that normally uh, we have children's groups, or, or young people's groups particularly, but the young people... Uh, that secondary school age, you're going to be staying in here this morning. Um, in, our, in our time, we're going to be asking um, uh, Justin Rees-Larkham to share his story with us of how he came out of addiction and into a relationship with Jesus. We're looking forward to that, Justin. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, just a couple of items of housekeeping, um, um, particularly, uh, this is for those of us who are new, um, the fire exits are signed by the, just follow the little green men, um, the assembly point is in the car park, um, just for your information. Um, the loos, um, ladies and gents' loos are, are just, out, just off the corridor behind me. Um, the gents, you have to go right down the corridor and round the corner. You'll find the gents there. And, and the disabilities' lose is just behind um, the, in the room just behind the, um, the coffee area. Um, can I just say for children this morning, um, so primary school children... You're going to be upstairs, um, just as Justin comes to speak. You're going to be upstairs um, in the um, in the room upstairs. For ch- little children, so nought to two, there's a creche just through that door, and just follow the corridor around. It's, it's pretty obvious to see, um, and if you'd like to leave your children there, um, that's great. Um, it's been an, an amazing week, hasn't it? We've had so many things happening Uh, We've had hundreds of people come in just to look around the building. Big welcome to you if you've just come in and looked around the building and thought, oh, actually, it'd be nice to see what happens on a Sunday. Very big welcome. Um, We've had lots of people, lots of cake, lots of coffees. Big thank you to those of you who have given your time um, to to serving uh, the teas and coffees. And we've also had evenings where we've had lots of people share their life stories, like Justin's going to be doing in a minute. And, And those have been amazing. Um, and, and there are lots of people wanting to do the Christianity Explored course. We'll hear about that later on. And there's also lots of things going on at Oak Hall Church. If you're interested um, about joining one of our, our youth groups or, or one of our small groups or anything else about the church, um, do grab one of these. This is our notice sheet. Um, we, we produce them monthly. They give details of everything that goes on at the church, uh, all the information you need. Um, grab one of those uh, if you need one. They're on the welcome desk as you go out. Um, finally, uh, this is a probably a big, a big one. After the service, we're going to have uh, teas and coffees served in the foyer. Uh, there's also going to be lots of cake. Um, generously, there have been shed loads of people cooking shed loads of cake um, for all of us here this morning, um, so please feel free not to just take one, not to just take two cakes, but take three. Fill your purse. Um, just, just go. <laughs> we have no idea what to do with it, so so be generous. Don't don't uh, don't skimp. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, the, the phrase "never trust a fat minister" uh, might might apply to me. Brilliant. I'm going to introduce Justin. Um, Justin, can you, can you just, for the sake of everybody here, um, uh, tell us where you're from uh, what do you, what, and what you do
1: at the moment? Um, I grew up in Kent, um, not too far away from here. Um, I went away to the army and all kinds of other things and came back home to Tunbridge about six years ago. Brilliant. And so what's, what's your work now? Um, I've got so many different hats that I wear. I've got a really boring job. I write insurance textbooks and exams. Um, and I've got quite an exciting job, oh. which is um, speaking Sorry, in the books. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Don't worry about the boring bit. The fun bit is speaking in books, and um, I have a charity which I run, the recovery course. Um, some of you might have heard of it. It's uh, very similar to the Alpha course. Uh, it comes from HGB, um, but it's come out of HTB now, and the charity that I'm part of really promotes that within churches across the country and internationally.
0: Wow, wow.
1: Um, so let me ask
0: a bit of a personal question then. Um, this afternoon, uh, where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing?
1: Well, it's uh, Six Nations Day, so uh, I'm going to be watching uh, the rugby. Um, I'm cooking uh, roast beef for my mum and my brother, and we're going to watch it this afternoon.
0: Brilliant. brilliant. I support Wales, so we may be friends Good. here and now, <laughs> but please don't come here next week. <laughs> Um, Justin I'm going to I'm going to leave you to it actually if that's all right yeah. um, and um, and at the, at the at the same time if you've got children you'd like to um, you'd like to go upstairs children please please feel free if you're primary school age do go upstairs or um the crèche is available as well um, Justin thank you so much for coming let's just give him a very warm welcome
1: Well, good morning, um, I have a slide to show you, it was quite dark when the photograph was taken, <laughs> okay, don't worry, if you catch up, it's fine, There's no problem, okay, brilliant, On the 17th of August 2013, five million people woke up and bought a copy of the Daily Mail. And Some of those people would have opened it up and looked inside and seen a double page spread and read the headline of how an ex-army major squanders three quarters of a million pounds over three years, losing his home, his job his wife, his family, and pretty much everything. Everything that I had, because the person looking back up at me when I opened up that newspaper that day was me. And I realized I needed probably to have a conversation with my eldest son, who was 12 years old at the time. We went for a walk. He read that newspaper article, and when he finished, he looked up at me and said, Dad, you mucked up. Don't do it again. That was five and a half years ago, And I haven't mucked up, but how did I get to that place? How did someone who had so much lose everything? And that's the story I want to share with you. Because life started well for me. I had quite a privileged background, a lovely home. Some of you might well know my mum, Jennifer Reese larkham I had five brothers and sisters and we lived a happy life. Yes, my mum was ill for a while, but um, she was quite miraculously healed. And I would say I had quite a stable upbringing. My passion was to fly. That's all I wanted to do. And the army were going to be mad enough to try and teach me to fly. But first I had to get through Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy, for my officer training. I guess you could say I was living my life up to that point in the light. I made a decision on my own that I wanted to be a son of God. I had Christ in my life. I would wake up in the morning and read my Bible uh, and I'd commit the day to him. And I was very much living my life openly as a Christian in the light. And on the day I arrived at Sandhurst, my mum realised that I might not have time to read my Bible every morning as I had been doing. So she gave me this little book. It's called Living Light. Some of you might even have seen something quite similar It's a series of verses in the morning and in the evening on a theme. It doesn't take terribly long to read. I opened it up and I looked inside. She'd written something. Let me just read this to you. We're so very proud of you today. We realize that sometimes in the future, you'll only have time for a few verses. So we thought this might help. Armies may march on their stomachs. But spiritual food gets you further. As an officer, you'll be responsible for the lives of your soldiers. But as a Christian, you'll be responsible for their souls as well. I read that every morning. Not a day went past that I didn't read this. Even when we had inspections at five o'clock in the morning, I'd still take the time to read it. And at Sandhurst, they tell you, don't stand out. Don't do anything badly, but don't do anything well either. Just be a grey man, blend into the background and get through your time. But I made a stand quite early on at my time at Sandhurst, which meant that I did stick out a little bit. I loved rugby. And there was a commotion one day. Uh, after just a couple of days of arriving at Sandhurst, everyone was gathered around the notice board. Uh, and I went to see what all the fuss was about. There was a note, and it said, rugby trials this Saturday. If selected, Wednesday's off training. So all 411 people in my intake turned up for the rugby trial. <laughs> And um, because there were so many of us, they invited some people to come back again on the Sunday for a final rugby trial. And I thought long and hard about what I should do and made the decision to go and stand in front of the commanding officer who was in charge of the rugby. It was a big, tall lieutenant colonel. He had bushy sideburns and he even had a monocle. I looked up at him and I said, sir, I don't want to play rugby. I'm a Christian and I want to go to chapel. And he didn't bite my head off. He wasn't angry. I wasn't selected for the starting 15 that following Wednesday but I was a reserve and the person who was in my position got injured after a few minutes and I quickly came on and played the best game of rugby I've ever played in my life. That same colonel just two weeks later asked me if I would be the captain of the academy first 15 which was a real honour because the general loved his rugby And he used to come and talk to me, the commandant. And he'd ask me who we were playing and and who'd been selected. And I think I must have been the only officer cadet he actually knew by name. Because at the end of my time at Sandhurst, when he had to select who was going to be the top officer cadet in my intake, he chose me. And I was awarded the Queen's Sword of Honour on the day of the Sovereign's Parade. And my mum was there to see me being handed over the sword. My career in the army had started well, but it didn't all go to plan. Um, You know, I said I wanted to fly. Well, the flying was okay. I just couldn't land, which is quite important. (laughs) So the officer who was in command of, of our training school said, Justin, you really need to find another part of the army to go to, or even another career entirely. I was dealing with a few anger issues here. I'd always wanted to fly. And when someone whispered in my ear that if I joined the Royal Artillery, you could shoot airplanes down. I joined them instead. felt much happier. Uh, my career in the army um, went very quickly to a place um, in Northern Ireland called South Armagh, uh, which in the early 90s was quite a difficult place to be for a soldier. But I loved the army. I loved the challenge that the army gave me. I guess you could say that I've always been quite restless. I've always been thinking about... What's next? And the army gave me loads of challenges that I could get my teeth into. I trained in a parachute role. I volunteered for the all-arms commando course. I did patrol competitions. I went out to Bosnia. I went to to, um, Arctic warfare training. I went to the jungle. I did everything I possibly could, and I loved it. But I was never satisfied. And all this time, I was still living my life in the light. And all the time I did that... He seemed to bless what I was doing. For two months, I was promoted and was one of the youngest majors in the British Army. I was leading several hundred people on an operational tour in Bosnia. My career was well on track. And then I saw something quite horrible. I saw the results of quite recent ethnic cleansing in a little village which had literally been destroyed. And the bullet holes in the children's playground where they played... I saw lined up where they put the children. My driver was a big sergeant. He was the second row in our rugby team. Uh, And I looked at him and he was crying his eyes out. And it really shocked me. The Army now is a great place to go if you want to have a career. They really care about your physical and your mental well-being. There are mental health nurses. You have a post-tour debrief. I had nothing like that back in 1999. So when I got home, I resigned my commission. Not because of what I'd seen. I didn't even know that I'd been slightly traumatised. And the army always says, don't talk about those things. Keep a stiff upper lip. But actually, some of my friends had left the army. They'd gone on to the city and were were making great careers in in finance and earning lots of money. So I resigned my commission. I went to join them. But rather than going to have a great job with with lots of money, I went to the very bottom of the pile. I was a junior T-boy, I think, probably, in an insurance brokerage in Hertfordshire. And when the the office stampeded at 5 o'clock and everyone left, I stayed behind and I got my books out and I studied. I was ambitious. I wanted to catch up with everyone else. Sometimes I'd still be there at 9 o'clock at night. The only people left in the office at 9 o'clock at night would be the cleaning company and the managing director. And he saw what I was doing. And sometimes would come and ask me. And I'd tell him, I'm ambitious. I want to catch up. Within two years of leaving the army, I'd been promoted. Uh, I was one of the youngest directors of a managing uh, of, a, of a division of a financial services company, working in the city of London. I had a six-figure um, salary. I'd I bought my own house. I'd met the girl of my dreams. We had a son, uh, a lovely son. Another one on the way. I drove a Porsche. She had a Mercedes. We had nice holidays. Everything on the outside looked okay. Let me show you a picture. Not that one. (laughs) The reason that I'm showing you this, apart from the horrible smug smile on my face, is that behind me, can you just see that? That little mound up there. This was taken on the Isle of Capri. Behind me is the Bay of Naples. And that is Mount Vesuvius, the volcano that erupted in AD 79, destroying Pompeii. You see, inside my head, and it's funny that that photograph, it looks like the volcano is actually just coming out of it. Inside my head... I had a volcano that was about to erupt catastrophically, destroying everything I'd come to know over the course of the next three years. I'm going to run through this next slides quite quickly, particularly the next one, but I just want you to see what life was like on the outside. Life was pretty good. Emma was my... Best friend, I would never have considered concealing anything from her or lying to her about anything. We shared the ups and the downs, and life was pretty good. Matthew had been born, and little Oscar was on the way. On the outside, things looked OK, but there was a problem. I'd said to God, "Thanks, Lord, you've given me a great life. I can take it from here." And I pushed him away. I took that little book that my mum had given me and I closed it in the drawer. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped having conversations with God. Perhaps I felt guilty. I never stopped believing but I just felt that I pushed him away. And I made arguments with him I said you know I I live up in Derbyshire near my wife's um, family business I had a three-hour commute down to London and back five days a week and I said to God I haven't got time for a quiet time I leave too early in the morning I get back too late at night I said there's no good churches in the town we live in up in Derbyshire but the truth was I just pushed him away and that's when things started to go wrong The first thing I noticed was that Matthew, aged 11 months, wasn't using his right hand for anything. And I said to Emma, don't you think this is strange? Matthew doesn't seem to use his right hand. And actually, some of the children his age are sitting up. They're they're crawling. Some of them are even walking. He doesn't do any of that. She said, oh, we've just got left-handed people in my family. I'm sure he'll just be left-handed And then one morning on my way into the station, I turned the radio on. I listened to an interview with a retired footballer, Philip Neville. He was talking about how he'd noticed his daughter, when she was 11 months old, wasn't using her right hand. They'd taken her to get a diagnosis for something called right-side hemiplegia. She'd had a stroke when she was born, and now had limited movement down her right side. No dexterity in her right hand. It all sounded so familiar to me. That evening when I got back, I said to Emma, please can we take Matthew to see a consultant, just to rule things out. So we did. We, we took him to see someone, and within a few minutes they said, I suspect your son has right-side hemiplegia. I can see stiffness in his leg, in his arm, and no dexterity in his hand. Matthew had uh, a scan, and on the day when we were going to go and get the results of this scan, I walked into the consultant's office. There was a picture of Matthew's brain on the computer. I was looking at a great big scar. She said, your son had a bleed. He had a stroke, probably around the time that he was born and he now has right side hemiplegia, the form of cerebral palsy that means he will have limited movement down that right side. She said as we got up to leave, by the way, he may well be susceptible to fits or seizures or have epilepsy at some point in his life. I was thinking when he's a teenager, but it was two weeks later. I was at home. Matthew was in my arms. He had a, had a streaming cold and a, and a high temperature. It was a hot day, and his right arm started to jerk. I knew straight away what was happening, but I didn't know what to do. I did everything wrong. I, I tried to put my arms around him to reassure him, to talk him out of his fit. That didn't work, and he began to turn blue. I put him in the car to take him towards the hospital. There was loads of traffic, so we drove back, laid him out on the back seat, and Emma... Was relaying instructions to me from emergency services. Well, I gave my son mouth to mouth resuscitation. I'd been taught in the army. I never thought I'd have to do it for my own son. I did something that I hadn't done for a few months. I prayed. I said, God, please help. I don't want to lose my son. And round the corner, pretty much straight away, came my next door neighbor. He was a retired surgeon. He stepped in, took over. Uh, And eventually the ambulance came, took Matthew away, they gave him a drug which brought him out of his fit, and he was okay, but I, I wasn't. See, I thought my son might play rugby one day better than me. I thought he could even land an aeroplane. I had all these selfish ambitions that fathers sometimes have for their children, and I had to come to terms with the fact that none of that would happen. Emma was brilliant. She went online, she googled hemiplegia, she kind of understood what it would mean. I handled it really badly. The following weekend I was watching a game of rugby, something I've done a thousand times before, but this time I noticed one of those adverts. Do you know that 18% of every advert on TV now is gambling related? You can't even watch match of the day without being exposed to gambling advertising for about 30% of that program. There's meant to be a watershed You can't advertise for gambling before 9 o'clock, except if there's live sports. And I noticed one of the adverts. I got my laptop, didn't even think about it. I deposited the £5 that I needed to get my free bet, and I won. I've often asked myself, what would have happened if I'd lost that bet? I think I'd have closed my laptop down, thought, what a waste of time. But I didn't. I won. And I didn't tell Emma when she got home. It just didn't feel right. I'd stopped playing rugby a couple of years ago, before this event. I had been passed over for a promotion at work, that commute was taking it out of me, and Matthew's disability was really difficult to accept. I don't know whether any of those are the causes for the fact that all of a sudden, I was wired in. I enjoyed it. I began to feel a part of sport again. I began to think this is an escape. This is somewhere I can go. I don't have to think about my world. I can actually compete. I can get a thrill. I called my office and said, you know, there's no point in me coming down to London every day. I'll work from home and just come into the office once a week. So my systems, they got set up from home and that's what I did. I used to do my work in two hours and then the rest of the day would stretch out ahead of me. I began to take more of an interest in sport. I began to gamble more often. And then one day, about six weeks later, I realized I actually wasn't very good at gambling. I was losing more than I was winning. I calculated how much I'd lost. You see, the problem with me is that I'm very competitive and I'm not a good loser. I don't like losing. So generally, I'll keep trying to find a way in which I can win. I'm also an optimist. I'm expecting the best outcome. Those are not good traits for a gambler. In the army, they taught me, don't give up. If you hit a brick wall, work a way around it. But with gambling, you need to stop and walk away sometimes. I couldn't. I said to myself, I'm going to stop gambling. But first, I'm going to win my money back. A tennis match was coming up. I needed £1,000 to put on the outcome of that tennis match to win the money that I'd lost, about £700, back in one go. I said to myself, when I won that bet, I'll stop. But I lost. And the first thing I did is I picked up the phone, I called the bank, I arranged for an overdraft, and I put another £1,000 down on the next tennis match. I'd stepped over the line. I'd gone from being someone who just has an occasional bet to someone who was chasing their losses. And that hole in my finances weighed heavily. I shook when I placed that bet because I'd never placed anything like that much before. Now with a hole in my finances, I had to be a bit secretive about what I was doing, about how I was spending my time. Um, as, a, as a dad who was there at home quite a lot, I should have been quite engaged with Matthew and Oscar. Um, Matthew by now had had a diagnosis for something uh, for autism as well as everything else. Uh, and little Oscar um, was born as well. I should have been there to change the nappies and, and give them a bath and read them a story. But instead, I'd lock myself away in my room, close the door and tell Emma that I couldn't be disturbed. I had a really important assignment to prepare for the morning or the lunch markets, the American markets were were coming online and I needed time. The reality was that as I heard the laughter of my children splashing in the bathroom next door, you'd find me trying to gamble on some obscure Romanian third division football match. My mood swings were all over the place. When I was winning, I was up here. When I was losing, I was down in the dumps. Emma could see that and bless her, she thought it was her. She thought it was my work. She thought it was the fact that we lived in a town. And so when someone came along and offered us a good price for the house, we took it. We moved out to the countryside. And Emma made it her mission while we moved into somewhere to rent, looking for somewhere to live, to find the perfect place. And time and time again, she'd find the perfect house. And then I'd dash her hopes and say, we can't live here. The garden's too big. Or the garden's too small. Or there's no good schools. Or it's... Near a main road, anything just to avoid a conversation which would go along the lines of, I'm sorry, Emma, we can't buy our own house anymore because I've squandered the deposit that we would have used to buy our own house. Rather than putting my hand up and saying, I need help, rather than talking to my wife, I said to myself, I'm the one that's got myself in this mess, I need to get myself out of it. I was puffed up with my own pride. Everyone, when they looked at me, I thought they look and they see an ex-army officer, sword of honour winner, someone who's successful in the world of business. Uh, my father-in-law, he used to love having conversations about how well I was doing. What I wanted to do is look at him and say, I'm not doing well at all. I'm really struggling. I've taken money that was Emma's and I've wasted it. I have a problem. But I couldn't say any of that. Well, at least I didn't say any of that. Instead, my bets got bigger. They got more extreme. And as my bets got bigger, I began to borrow more and more and more. One day, little Matthew said to me, Daddy, please will you take me to the swings? We were down at my in-law's house, and as an autistic child, he'd fixed his mind on doing that. He knew he wasn't spending a lot of time with me. He just wanted some time with Dad. After we'd finished lunch at my in-law's house, it was raining outside, Emma said, can you just take him to the swings, but go home first and get his coat. So we drove back a couple of miles to my house. We pulled up outside and I left Matthew strapped in in the front with the engine running. I went inside. I put my hand on his coat. And then I remembered that that morning I'd had a bet. I thought, I'll just go and check my account uh, and then I can go and have some nice time with him. I'd lost that bet. I can remember feeling cross, feeling angry. I went to the online casino, a stupid place to go. I went to the roulette table and I had a gamble thinking I'd just win that money back. One bet, then I'll go and have a nice time with Matthew. Two and a half hours later, I'd emptied out my bank account again. I went downstairs and little Matthew had fallen asleep in the car and the tears that he'd cried himself to sleep with were dried on his cheeks. What kind of a dad was I? Only one who now was in big trouble. I lost my job because I used my corporate card to gamble with. It was crazy, totally illogical. I knew as soon as I pressed that button that my career would be over. But it took two and a half months before my company found out. When they did, the call came in, went something like this. Justin, something terrible's happened. Your your corporate card's been cloned. There's fraudulent activity all over it, gambling transactions. I'm really sorry, we need to get you a new card and close that one down. Will that be okay? I said, boss, they're not fraudulent, they're my own. I went in to see the head of HR. She lined up all my statements and asked me to underline the ones that were my own. £27,500 worth of my company's money in two and a half months had gone to my gambling account. Needless to say, that was my career over. But when I got home, I didn't even tell Emma the truth. I lied. I said, I've got another job to go to. I'm on gardening leave for a few weeks. Now with no income coming in, I began to get very creative about how I got my money to gamble with. I, I used to sell things in the house, things that I didn't think Emma would see at first, valuable things, lovely things, things that we've been given as gifts. A brightling watch Emma had given to me as a, a wedding anniversary present. When she saw I wasn't wearing it, I lied. I said, I went in the pool, it got wet, and I have to send it back to the manufacturer. It might take a while. She found out. We had friends to stay. They found a bank statement, showed it to her, and she confronted me. It felt like a relief to tell her that I will never forget the expression on her face of hurt, of pain. She stood by me to start with, bless her, uh, and I stopped gambling. But then I had an email from another gambling company offering me a 50 pound free bet, and I thought, that's okay, that's not gambling. I was right back into my old ways and one morning I woke up to find that Emma had left and she'd taken the boys with her. And She was right to go. I was self-destructing and I was pulling her with me. Those times were dark times. I began my story about talking about living in the light. Now I'm going to tell you about what it was like to live in a very, very dark place. I hadn't paid any rent for six months. I was living off a sack of moldy potatoes. I couldn't even afford to heat the house. It was November. It was cold. I used to hide under the covers. And I'd think about ways that I could get a few pounds together. I'd go and sell some clothes for a few pounds. Walk back home rather than using the bus. And then I'd think about how I would put two pounds down on a 15-leg football multiplier and win all my money back and everything would be okay. I began to imagine what life would be like for my children. If I wasn't around permanently, I even began thinking about maybe committing the perfect crime. I took my sword of honor one day and I sold it for £200. I cried my eyes out when I left the shop because that bit of metal represented everything that had been good, everything that God had given me. And I began to think about God again and the way that He'd honored me and the way I had disgraced Him and the shame that I felt. There was a knock at the door, it was my mum. She said, you've got a choice. Your father-in-law has paid off the rent arrears, he's told us everything. You can walk the streets, or you can come back home to Kent and try and find some recovery. She said, I don't know anything about gambling addiction, and I can't find anyone who does. But I think you're a gambling addict, and I think you should get some help. She didn't judge me. She wasn't cruel. I could see the hurt in her eyes and I remember the day when she watched me being awarded the Queen's Sword of Honour as she watched me walk around the house collecting my last possessions, two black plastic bin liners of stuff, some clothes, some pictures and £73,000 worth of debt. I said goodbye to Emma, but I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the boys. And I went back home to my house, to my mum's house, to the room I'd left when I was 18, about to go out into the world and make my fortune. And I got down on my knees. And I prayed a prayer I should have prayed a long time ago. You see, I'd been humiliated that day when mum had watched me walk around the house with my possessions. But that broke my pride. And it had been my pride that was blocking any form of love or forgiveness or recovery from my Creator. And when I got down on my knees and I said I was sorry and my pride was out the way, I asked Him to come back into my life, just like I had when I'd become a Christian. And I said, please, can you mend me? And I want to put smiles on all your faces. Because you know what? He did. He restored so much there isn't time to tell you about the restoration that happened when I prayed that prayer. But the first thing I did is try and sort out the debt. And I went to see a lovely person from a a debt um, charity, a, a debt advice charity that's run from my church. And when I paid my last penny of debt off two years later, I volunteered for that charity. Now on a Monday night, once a month, you'll find me talking to people who've got themselves into real problems, often through no fault of their own. And every day that went by, something better happened. I replaced my desire to bet over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't about winning money. It was about the, the, the physical and the chemical reaction I was getting in my body, a result of the pain that I was feeling, an escape from all of that. When I pushed that out of the way, I felt really vulnerable. But God came and found me. And I discovered I walked a thousand miles away from him and I only needed to take one tiny little step back and he was right there. And he was ready to forgive. And he was ready to accept. And he was ready to show me love, despite all the things that I'd done. And I realized that God loves all of us. Warts and all. There are no strings attached to that love. We can't earn more of it by doing good things. He won't take it away if we do bad stuff. But we can lose sight of it by putting barriers in the way. And when God pushed all those barriers out the way, and I was willing to let him, I discovered him so wonderfully. I began to read the living light again, I began to read my Bible, I began to wake up in the morning excited to open up God's word and I love it when David says in Psalm 19 that his words are like gold, the purest gold. I found that again and the gold I found in his word was so much more valuable to the gold I've been chasing. And it didn't matter anymore about money. Do you know, I had no job. I had nothing. I just used to mark some exam papers. But within quite a short time, he honored that. And I began to work again. And that's how I paid off my debt. I still felt shame. I still felt regrets. I still sometimes didn't allow myself to accept the forgiveness that God was giving me. So I began to swim a bit. Um. Uh, and swimming and exercise helped me. It began to restore a bit of balance in my life. I'd swum competitively when I was younger. I'd always wanted to swim the channel. That tells you a bit more about my character, doesn't it? I couldn't just do a few lengths. I had to volunteer to swim across to France. But that really helped me. On the day that I was going to set off for my channel swim, it was a lovely flat day. And I said to my pilot, someone who'd been swimming a- across the sea, uh, swimming, getting swimmers across the sea for 27 years, someone I trusted, someone who's going to navigate me through the, the awful currents off the French coast, through the two busiest shipping lanes in the world. I said to him, what should I do? One bit of advice you can give me for today. He said, Justin, all you've got to do is stay by the boat. I'll get you across. I did that for 10 hours. Then something quite catastrophic happened. I saw France. France. I'll finish the story off in a minute. Let me just run through some of this. Restoration with my boys is what matters to me now. Time with them. Really being present. Uh, My ex-wife talks about time when I I just wasn't present. And she is my ex-wife now, sadly. We did have a try at at getting back together again for nine months. She came all the way down from Derbyshire, and we built our home up again, uh, and the boys went to school locally, and everything was wonderful. And I said, God, you are so wonderfully kind in restoring all of this. And then one day, she said, I don't trust you. And I can't be with you. There are consequences to my sins, but she's still a friend. I've got a place up in Derbyshire I go to whenever I can and spend time with all of them, particularly my boys. What about the sword? Well, after three years of it being away, an army officer, ex army officer, was looking at some swords online, wanted to buy one, and he saw a sword of honour for sale. He thought, you don't sell swords of honour, they must be stolen. He saw my name on it, so he googled mine. If you google my name, you come up loads of stuff. He called one of the newspapers, uh, and they phoned me up. It got FedEx down to me on Christmas Eve. And when I got that back, I was just so, so grateful to the Lord. As I was looking for a form of recovery, I was looking for something that was Christ-based. I'd been along to Gamblers Anonymous, and at first it was wonderful, because I discovered I wasn't the only idiot out there. But after a while, I began to struggle with the concept of a higher power or a God of your own understanding without being truly honest about it. So I found the recovery course at HTB and I went along and I discovered that it was about to um, finish because the person that was running it up at HTB was resigning um, and the course was just going to end. So I got together with some friends. We formed a charity that meant the recovery course could be sustained. Uh, and now we're seeing that the recovery course is, is starting all over the country. The Salvation Army have just adopted it as their national social justice course. Uh, It's in churches from Newcastle down to Plymouth and as far away as Toronto, South Africa and the USA. It's a wonderful, wonderful course. It's a start and a finish. And the idea is that we bring people into the community of church, whatever that looks like. If you want to hear a little bit more about the recovery course, come see me afterwards. I've got some cards. You can go to the website uh, and get involved or just have a look and see what's happening. We run a conference every year and that was the one, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. God's been really good to me in giving me this story. It's tough. I wouldn't want to go back and do it again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But it's a story where God has taken the bad things in my life and turned them into good. And I can't stop telling people about that. And I love the TED Talk format. Have any of you seen that? 15-minute talk online? It's reached hundreds of thousands of people now. Uh, And the Lord is using that story. People get in contact all the time. And I try and link them up with recovery courses, whether they've got a faith or not. So let me take you back to 10 hours in. It's all going well. The problem with me seeing France is that I suddenly think to myself, I can do this. I don't need the boat. Thanks, pilot. You've been great getting me so far. But I can see where I'm going now. And anyway, why are you drifting off over there? I can see the nearest point of the coast is there. You see, what I was being stupid about was the fact that I wasn't... Taking any heed of the four and a half knot riptide that was going on underneath the, the, the surface. What my pilot was trying to do is he was trying to get me around the back of Cap Grenet, that bit of France that sticks out here. And if I had followed him, I would have been okay. But I thought I knew best. It got dark, it got cold. The wind picked up. I had a 14-knot wind in one direction, the tide in the other. That meant waves. So when I turned my head to breathe, instead I got a mouthful of salt water. My throat was swelling up, my tongue was expanding, and I was struggling to breathe. I was in trouble. And then they got a light. They shone it down on the water by the side of the boat, and I suddenly knew that's what I needed to be. So I swam back. And when I got there in the light, suddenly I got... Complete shelter from the lee of the wind. The waves were still there, but now when I was in the light, I could see them, so I just ducked my head. I got a triple strength carb freed and they got me round to Cap Grenet and I made landfall. I want to finish with this. That's just like my own life. When I think I know best, going off in one direction. It's not until I live in the light that I hand over the keys that things begin to go well again in my life. And maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you know someone who's in a really dark place and you just want to reach out to them. Well, I'd encourage you to do that today. If God's prompting you this morning, if he's saying to you, maybe there's a few things in my life that I'm keeping locked away in a dark room, maybe he's saying, please, open those doors up. Let me shine my light. Into all of your life. I think we're going to have some questions, aren't we? Maybe.
0: (laughs) Justin, thank you so much. Um, That's just. Can we just say a big thank you to Justin? one of the one of the most humbling stories I've ever heard. Um, what would be lovely is um, is we're going to we're going to have um, Andy. He's going to come and, and share a song with us. Um, as Andy shares, we've got a, um, a, a a phone number on the on the wall behind me. Um, if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask Justin, um, then do text them into that number. Um, and then where's and then James has got. Um, ...the phone. Lovely. Thanks, James. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll just spend some time, uh, just after Andy's song, uh, to, to take Lovely. you through those. Is that all right? Do you...
2: Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Justin. I, I wrote this song uh, in a bus station, people walking past. And uh, as I was writing this song, I was reflecting on what we've, hearing, what we've been hearing this morning, actually. The same message, that there's a God who loves and who waits and who calls... And invites us into a place where we can know him. It's not on the basis of our rescuing ourselves, but it's on the basis that he's come in the person of Jesus to die on a cross. So that even I, even Justin, even you could be forgiven and brought into relationship with him. It's called today. run for the bus, climb on, and you smile at a person you don't know and drive on. But today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Now you're out in the street Walk on And you're reading The advertisements well Read on And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And the busker plays and taps his feet, sweet song. But a reminder. Of what you want to forget So move on But today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Cause there's one who loves And who waits And who calls And there's one who died To save, to save your life And is there life Richer than this well Think on And is there a place Of real peace well Think on And today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Today if you hear his voice Don't harden your heart Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart.
0: Uh, some Lots of questions still coming in, even. Um, but I'll just ask you a few of the ones that I've got here. Um, one, somebody asked, what advice would you give to someone who is now where you once were, stuck in addiction, not knowing what to do, where to turn?
1: Wow, That's, uh, I could spend a long time, but I'll give you, try and give you a short <laughs> answer on that one. What a great question. Um, I think if anyone had said to me, Justin, you know, pull yourself out of this, what, what are you playing at? I, I would have probably been in denial. I would have probably said, actually, I'm okay, I'm managing it, I don't want any help. Um, I see that recovery as a little bit like a, a, a dog with a bone. Um, uh, the addict has got the bone sharply in their teeth they're gripping on hard, they don't want to let go you can try and pull it out for them you can try and tell them to go and find recovery you can try and you know, uh, get them to, to, to some help or whatever unless they're willing to do that they won't let go you can give them a kick um, and say right, if you don't go, I'm going to leave you or so I'm going to threaten something else and that might mean that for a while the, the bone is dropped But after a while, we'll circle back towards it unless we find inner, long-lasting recovery. So my view is, if you want to help anyone, find them something to replace their addiction with that's more wholesome. I really do believe that addiction is a response to uh, pain, to hurt, to some kind of inner real touch point that is hurting. Um, So it needs to be something more wholesome. As Christians, we've got that in our relationship with Christ. Wow.
0: Um, which is a great lead-in to the next question, actually. Um, how do your children and ex-wife reaction react to your, your Christianity?
1: Um, well, um, my eldest son I talked about at the beginning of my story. It's a little bit complicated. Um, but anyway, he, he comes to listen to some of my talks, um, and, and he's a really forgiving person he can see the person that i am now matthew and oscar i think still probably too young to understand sometimes um the poor, poor things accidentally see me on tv or, or or something and they they point and they don't really understand why yet yeah. um emma i think oh, it's so difficult you see in addiction we always focus on the person on the addict and the reality is you take gambling addiction, for example, on average, there are about nine other people around them adversely affected by the behavior of the addict. Um, and gambling is such a horrible addiction because of the financial consequences of it uh, and the way you can keep it hidden for so long. Um, so, my view is oh, I, she struggled. She really has, and I completely understand why. On the recovery course, we run what we call the family support group, which is for people who've been affected adversely by the actions of an addict, and those people need love too. So... Um, Another great question is, is, how is your son's health now? <laughs> so Matty's doing really well. He goes to a special school. Um, the uh, fitting, uh, the seizures, it, which is what's most life-threatening for him, are completely under control. He has a lot of medication in the morning, a lot in the evening. That possibly has some side effects on his behaviour. Um, and, yeah, he goes to a special school. But he's getting, he's getting good help, um, and we are so, so close. Last year, he and I went to um, Disneyland, and if I... I don't even know if I should ever tell this. I've never said it in public before. But there was an outdoor pool with hundreds of people in it. Um, Matthew, bless him, had an accident. They had to f- evacuate the pool. And he thought it was the funniest thing that had ever happened. <laughs> Not for me. But he's doing really well.
0: <laughs> um, so this is quite a tricky question. When I say an accident, do you know what I mean by that? <laughs> Not a, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so this is quite a tricky question. It, it could be understood. Uh, that you're saying, follow Jesus and everything will go well. Um, do you want to explain a bit more and then I'll ask the second, second yes. side of that? Yes, okay.
1: Uh, I'm, uh, it's so difficult. My, my favourite psalm um, is Psalm 1 and it talks about a person who, who meditates on God's word in the, in the morning and in the, in the evening and they're like a tree that puts its roots down by the water and everything they do prospers. And that's really simplistic. And I love it, but unfortunately, uh, for some people that is true. But if you're new to Christianity, please don't think that we're trying to say, if you become a Christian, suddenly you'll prosper and everything goes well. And I am the example of that. God wanted to bless me with so much, but I wasn't willing to accept it. I thought I knew best, and that meant there were some pretty bad consequences. One thing I do know, whatever this life throws at us, if we have Christ in our life, we have the peace to be able to get through anything.
0: And it's that sense of, of peace with God, isn't it? That, um, that that word blessed you used is, mm. is just a little bit, in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it just means approved by God. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean absolutely everything, your, your, your money, yes. your wife, your life, yes. your, your yes. car, your family are going to be uber glorious. Mm. It actually just means that rightness with God is there for yours uh, to have
1: and do you know what Phil, I, I think yeah. that that's exactly what's happened in my life now I, there was a time when I would stand up a couple of years ago and say, and God restored everything I've got a better wage, I've got a better car I've got my wife back, I've got my children rather like Job yeah. <laughs> but actually the truth is I miss Emma, I really do I wish we were a family and um, we're not because of the consequences of my sin um, and so yes, I don't want anyone to think it's all twee and fine and easy
0: Yeah, and that that kind of answers that that second question which is what what advice would you give to Christians who are suffering
1: do you know one thing I would say is is please don't ignore something that you know is wrong either in yourself or someone else please have a conversation Hmm. because in that conversation it might be the one time when someone needs you the most to say to them can we talk about this
0: and I, I think do you mind if I add a little bit? Um, my, 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 what's the word? My insistence uh, would be that we don't um, convince ourselves of something that could be the lie. That, a, a lie that we sometimes convince ourselves of is that I walk into a, a church on a Sunday morning and, you know, everybody's sorted and everybody's happy and everybody's smiling. Um, and, and that's a lie we, we, we deceive ourselves with. Because the truth is absolutely everybody has, um, has woken up on the wrong side of the bed, spilt the coffee all over their children, kicked the dog on the way out, um, and, and, and feel the burden to put on a show. Yeah. That's the truth of it. Um, and I don't know why we do that, but we do. Um, and, and, and maybe perhaps we ought, to, uh, we ought to forgive ourselves for preaching that lie yeah. um, and tell ourselves the truth. Um, the person sitting next to you um, has had a really rough morning, potentially, probably, um, and let's not convince ourselves any otherwise. That way we, be, we can be real. That way we can be honest. That way um, we don't raise the bar of expectation. I have to be as gorgeous and beautiful as mm-hmm. the person next to me the reality is they're as ugly
1: as I am. (laughs) Yeah, take me, for example. (laughs) But do you know what? That's so refreshing to hear that in a church because so often the one place where we need to be authentic, where we need to be honest, is the one place we feel we can't be. And when people say, how are you? We say, fine, having a great week. Actually, the reality, we're not. And that's why the recovery course is so authentic because it's not just for people who you would think are addicts with a drug problem or an, alcoholic pro- an alcohol problem, it's for anyone. It's for that person that can't stop spending. It's for that person who's watching too much porn. It's for that person who, who's having a relationship with other people hurt. Uh, and I just I think it's wonderful that we can be that honest in this space. Uh,
0: Justin, can I ask you one last question? Um, uh, again, quite, quite a personal question. Um, would you still call yourself a gambling addict?
1: Yeah, and and then I'll. That's a great. It is a great question. Um, uh, Do you know what? I could never go back to gambling. Every single day, I'm really protective about it. Um, I know that if I had one bet, I'd be right back to the way I was. So I don't buy a raffle ticket. um, I don't buy a lottery ticket. I don't even have a sportsman's bet. Um, I would do nothing because I'm so protective. It's a wonderful gift that I've been given from God. I don't want to throw it back in his face. Hmm. So I will always be someone who cannot
0: gamble. So there's a sense in which you've, you, you, you almost know that you have the potential to go back to that. yeah, But because of the damage, and also because of the love of Christ in your life, yeah. you've said never will I go anywhere near um, yeah. that again. So... Um, What do you now fill your time with in order that you, 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 that kind of
1: what have I replaced the bone Yeah, what with? do
0: you place it? What do you oh, place the
1: bone with? Yeah. I, 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 love, I love to write, I love to speak. Um, I, I've got a couple of books that I'm, I'm around. If you want to come and I'll sign one, um, maybe you're going to talk about I'll that. I'll talk about that. I hate talking yeah. about it. But um, those are the things I love doing. The project that I'm doing at the moment is to go back into the armed services where they've got a real problem with gambling. Maybe three times more than uh, any other place uh, and we're building uh, an education programme within the armed services um, that will give them just the tools that they need to get through. And schools, schools. If you're 16 to 23, you're three times more likely to have a problem with gambling. If you're 17 to 23, you're more likely to gamble on football than play. Uh, and I have a real heart for young people who, who are really adept and, and good at smartphone technology, which is where all the advertising goes, and they are the most susceptible to that advertising.
0: Wow. Justin, thank you so much for, for sharing your time. Um, Justin's going to be standing by the bookstall um we've got a couple of books uh, uh, of his um one is um, tales i i lose um that's that's just a story of of your life um uh, uh, well both are a story of your life one is more for for just the the non-christian casual reader one is for uh, christian friends um could i encourage you they're they're 8.99 each uh, 50 15 pounds for both um that's not ripping you off, is it? No, <laughs> no. <clears throat> £15 pounds for both. Mm. Can I encourage you, if you've got someone on your mind um, and, and you'd like them to read Justin's story, um, do, uh, do ask him to, to sign it. Um, get him to, to personally sign it to the person you'd like to give it to. Um, buy them um, and, and give them away or, or read them for yourself. Um, but they are, as we've heard this morning, just exceptionally moving books uh, to read. Um, We've also got a a bookstall where where we're actually um, uh, selling books. There's this one for £1, which just explains, uh, called Essentials, just explains the heart of the Christian faith, Uh, much of which you've heard this morning, but that kind of explains it a a bit more. Um, This way to life, again, Derek Prime just explains, actually, what is real life? We've heard um, how how real life can be so destroyed uh, by something so evil. Um, but here, this is a way um, to real life, um, and those those books are one pound. Live wires is is a book of of stories, again, people who have um, encountered the person of Jesus, um, and, um, and and powerful stories of changed lives. Uh, it's got a yellow dot on, so those are two pounds. Uh, you can buy all three of these books for four pounds, um, which is which is not quite as discounted um, as Justin's. Um, <laughs>
1: The other I, thing I, is, I want to say, by the way, that the money for those books does go to recovery, the recovery course charity, and Brilliant. not to me. So. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's, that's a great
0: incentive, actually. <laughs> um, um, also, look, we are, we are a Bible-believing church, which means we believe in the real person of Jesus. Um, we believe he's still alive today. We believe we can know him individually as persons, personally, today, and we know that he uh, can bring us into a relationship with God. Today, we were talking about Psalm 1, um, that that term blessed. Uh, It's such a full word, a word meaning absolutely right and at peace with God, not just with ourselves, not just with the people around us, but with God, the most significant person Mm. in this universe, And we believe that Jesus is God. That's a a phenomenal statement. That's not a a cult thing to say. That's what Christians have been declaring for the last 2,000 years. Jesus is God. If we want to know who Jesus is or who God is, then we we look at the person of Jesus. And, And please don't take my word for it. Uh, I'm I'm not going to say, you know, now come to the front and accept that and and, and I'll I'll talk you through it. I'm going to challenge you and and just ask you to come and explore that for yourself. Christianity Explored is six Monday nights uh, where you can come here um, to this building uh, and and sit in the coffee area with 20 other people who are already coming um, and and share with them uh, and and explore with them who the person of Jesus is. We go through... um, a biography of Jesus that's recorded in 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 the Bible. It's the biography of Mark. That's the book of the Bible we go through, the Gospel of Mark. And we just read that together. And we look at whether this person, Jesus, is who he claims to be, God. And whether this person, Jesus, can do what he claims to be able to do, make us right with God and bring us peace. And if you'd like to come on that Christianity Explore course, do grab one of these on on your way out or talk to me or anyone with a lanyard. Just say, can I just have a bit more information about the Christianity Explore course? Because I would like to find out who this Jesus person is. I'd like to know whether he can do what he says he can do. Bring us peace with God. It's a great opportunity. Ask whatever you want. Be real. Um, We're not going to laugh Because of it, we're not. You know, ask the right questions. If you don't understand anything, just ask because we'll answer the question. It's that real. It's that honest. It's that open. It's that friendly. On top of which, you get decent coffee and decent cake, just like we're about to have um, now. Mm. Um, Justin, I'm going to pray. Do you mind? I I, I think that's important. Praying is talking to God. Um, It's it's simply speaking to Him as one person to another. Um, What we traditionally do as Christians is just bow our heads, close our eyes to avoid distraction. Uh, That's all that is. It's not a special holy act. So we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes now and just speak to this person, Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son who came into this world to deal with people like us. We thank you that you've dealt with Justin. We thank you that you have given Justin his story that he can share with us. Lord, we thank you that we can be real and that the only place where we can be truly real is in a relationship with you because you give us peace, rightness with God through Jesus. Father, we thank you for Justin and his honesty and his realness. We ask that you would continue to bless him and give him strength as he, as he fights this, this dreadful evil in our society of online gambling. We pray for his family. We pray for Emma. We ask Lord God that you would continue to work restoration in their lives, even now. We ask that you bless his boys. Bless him. May his work grow. And Lord God, we ask for your peace, your blessing to be upon each of us now as we go. That we would know you more and more and more as we learn more about this person, God the Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming this morning. It's been a great morning. Justin, thank you so much. Um, Can we give him another clap? Well, do feel free to, to just um, have a chat with the person next to you or um, go through. There's tea and coffee served there. There'll be trays of nibbles coming round. Uh, help yourself. Thank you ever so much.